What's up, guys? This is Patrick Mad Mork from Mad Mork Stories coming to you live for another episode of Mad Mork Stories on Audio. Yes, we are going to be talking about more delicious things, more marketing, more tech, more promotions, more advertising, more sales, more marketing, all that good stuff today. So uh, happy to have you with us. I have uh, an interesting podcast uh, for you guys today. I was going to talk about startup crashes. Yeah, and we know that's always a favorite topic here in Silicon Valley. There's a lot of reasons why startup crashes, uh, you know, why, why these startups uh, sometimes don't work out. Um, we're going to focus our discussion today on marketing and how marketing really affects um, the viability of startups. And uh, it's a hot topic because it's always difficult. And, you know, there has never been, on the one hand, a better time to be a marketer in terms of the sheer number of tools and channels and all the different things that you can do to reach people throughout the customer journey. On the other hand, uh, there's never been a more complicated time to be a marketer because, you know, there are too many tools out there. There are too many channels out there and marketing budgets haven't necessarily increased. So that makes it really difficult for uh, for marketers in general. And it makes it particularly a thorny issue when you're a startup marketer with limited resources. So um, I'm going to jump in and talk about, you know, my experience with, uh, with uh, technology and marketing and what I've seen in the Valley, uh, you know, really over the last 10 years. And going to try and try uh, and uh, tie this back to some of my favorite frameworks. Uh, you guys will hear me talk about frameworks a lot on these podcasts to try and make some sense and organize um, all these things that we're going to discuss today uh, and do it in a way that is kind of digestible and manageable for you guys. As always, um, if you have any questions, you can feel free to tweet me at MadMork. You can email me, Patrick at BatMork.com. Um, this podcast is also taken from one of my blog posts by the same name, which is called Startup Crashes. It's the marketing, stupid. Uh, and you can find that on www.madmork.com slash blog. So let's kind of dig into kind of the real purpose of marketing uh, and just to kind of like level set there. Um, you know, as Philip Kotler, you know, who is who's famously known as one of the fathers of marketing and a famous professor of marketing at Northwestern uh, once said, marketing is the science and art of exploring, creating and delivering value to satisfy the needs of a target market at a profit. Marketing identifies unfulfilled needs and desires. It defines, measures and quantifies the size of the identified market and the profit potential, right? And that's key because, you know, if you think about it, a lot of, a lot of times one of the problems with marketing and technology is that marketing is, is misunderstood, right? And so, um, first of all, there's, you know, a notorious um, tendency for marketers and for startups to not necessarily focus on profit, right? It's to focus on growth at all costs. And certainly at the beginning of a company's life cycle, that's understandable, um, because it is all about growth and getting users and getting customers. But at some point, you do have to make a profit, right? And at some point, this is going to come back to haunt you if you're constantly raising money because you don't have a profitable business. Um, it's also important to realize that good marketers will work with your product teams to really try and identify uh, the market potential for your product, right? And and again, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a sec, but one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is building great products for the, for the sake of building cool technology, right? That's not the same as identifying a clearly unfulfilled need. And the problem is when you don't identify clearly unfulfilled need, you end up building technology that either people don't want or that either the market is too small 
or that the need isn't strong enough, right? And so when the need isn't strong enough, what happens is, well, you end up with a product that, you know, um, is not easy to sell and which may be much more difficult to cons- to communicate to consumers. So there's another famous marketer uh, worth taking note of called uh, Idro McCarthy, and he developed what's called um, the four P's of classical marketing. And the four P's of classical marketing are product, place, price, and promotion, right? And uh, and the reality is kind of this is the the traditional framework that marketers have used since time immemorial um, in an effort to kind of like structure marketing and make it a little bit more organized and easier to digest. This is also the framework that, you know, very famous and well-established brands, be they Nestle, Pepsi, Coke, Nike, or others, have used, you know, for decades, and in some cases, in the case of Coke and Pepsi, have used this for well over a century, you know, to get their their products out into the marketplace and get consumers to buy their products, right? So, um, you know, how do the four P's, product, place, price, and promotion, uh, tie back into technology companies? Because obviously tech companies are organized differently than traditional consumer good companies. For starters, um, you know, product is, is usually owned by the product management team, right? Which works with engineering to build products. Um, so that's not necessarily a marketing function uh, in tech companies. Place, basically, which is a, a fancier way of talking about distribution, um, you know, the, the places where your product is available, right, be it, you know, the latest, the latest cell phone or the latest mobile application, that's, again, not necessarily owned by marketing. That's usually owned by people in business development or sales, right? Pricing um, is, again, owned often by sales and product management, um, which, which leaves, you know, the marketing team with, with, with what? Uh, well, promotion, right, which is the last of the four Ps. Uh, and, and promotion, kind of like in, in Valley Speak, is often associated basically with public, ra- public relations, communication, social media, advertising, uh, or growth hacking, right, which is a fancy way of, of I was saying, acquiring users or acquiring customers. So um, the Valley and, and technology companies definitely are different in terms of how they approach marketing. And a lot of the traditional marketing functions are distributed across different teams, be they product management, be they sales, be they BD. So let's have a, let's have a quick look at each one of these in turn and, and talk about you know, where some of these areas are failing tech companies and, and what marketers can do to help people across other teams, be that product, engineering, or sales and BD, to help their products be more successful, reach more users, generate more sales. So start with product, right? And and one of the biggest failures um, that you see, particularly with startups in tech, uh, and this happens all the time, is that you have incredibly smart, brilliant people who are building cool things, uh, but in isolation of a real need, right? And there's a couple of great examples here. Google Glass, um, for all of you guys who remember, uh, you know, an, an Oculus or, or VR to a lesser extent um, can be examples of that, right? The technology is, is cool. And, you know, myself, I mean, I own, you know, uh, a couple of VR headsets, right? you know, like Daydream and, and Gear VR. And the reality is that they're both sitting in my closet kind of collecting dust. I never use them, right? And, and, I, and I never use them because I don't really need them. Um, you know, the biggest problem with, with VR for me is I love the tech. I think it's really cool, but it doesn't really solve any kind of pressing need, right? I don't have to, um, use VR to play video games or watch a movie. I mean, the experience of watching a movie on my big screen television is 
perfectly good enough. The experience experience of playing video games on my phone or my iPad or or my Nintendo Switch is perfectly good enough, right? I don't really need VR for that. That's not to say that VR doesn't do some cool things. I mean, definitely there are a lot of cool applications. You know, like for example, sitting in the middle of a basketball court and watching your favorite basketball players play. It's cool, but does it really solve a pressing need, right? I mean, is this something that's such a massive problem that consumers are going to go out and pay for it? Um, not really, right? There's no killer use case. And so that's a problem, right? Um, so finding a killer use case and solving a real pressing need is one of the areas where marketing and products need to work more closely together so that you make sure that when you take this cool tech that you've spent you know, months and months and months of work on, you've spent millions of VC uh, dollars on, um, that there actually is a, a need for it and people are going to pay for it, right? Um, the other problem that you see in product is what I call feature creep, right? And, and this is, you know, uh, the best example of this is kind of like the remote control that you use for your cable box, right? If, if any of you guys have, you know, still have cable and, and you know, you look at these r ridiculous remote controls, it's insane, right? How many buttons you have and how many features you have. And, and the reality is kind of like, if you think about many of the products that we use every day, day in, day out, that we really love, that we're really kind of hooked on and that make our lives better or easier, um, you know, take Amazon Echo, you know, take WhatsApp or Instagram, um, you know, take your iPhone, whatever you want. Oftentimes what you find is one of the things that makes these products great is the simplicity of use. Right. In Argentina, you know, they have a saying which is called a prueba de boludos. Right. And in and, and gringo speak that that kind of translates as idiot proof. Right. And and, you know, the hallmark of great products is really that is that they're simple to use. You shouldn't have to read a freaking manual of like 20 pages or go online and watch YouTube videos to figure out how to use something. Right. If it's if it's too complicated, if you really have to spend, you know, hours figuring things out, um, it's going to be very tough to engage with customers, right? Be they business customers or be they consumers in B with B2C products, right? And the result oftentimes is tech that is so freaking complicated to use that, you know, consumers just kind of like start pulling their hair out of their heads and just want to bash their heads against the wall because it's just so frustrating, right? So the rule of thumb when you're talking about product, um, especially when you're talking about B2C products, is... Think about building your product with the lowest common denominator in mind and then improve it over time. Okay? So lowest common denominator, improve over time. You don't need to insert like all these amazing features at once on your product. You don't need to spend an extra six months developing your product just because somebody in engineering thinks, oh, this is cool, let's add this other feature. Right. Make sure that you are really solving a real need that is important to users that they're willing to pay for and then iterate and improve your product over time. Right. So how can marketers help products? Right. How can we as marketing people help our product guys make better products and, and avoid kind of feature creep and avoid kind of like, you know, products that don't have a clear need? Well, you know, I have another post on my on my blog, um, which is all about product marketing and, and how product marketing and product work together. So I would suggest you take a look at that. But not to go into too too much detail. Typically what I found works best is is when you form what I call D D2, right? And and D2 stands for the dynamic duo. And the dynamic duo is essentially where you have a PM, right, a product manager, and then you have a PMM, a product marketing manager, who basically work together from you know the creation of the product all the way through launch, 
right? And that's really important because in most cases, what you have in the Valley is you have great products that are created and then they're kind of casually tossed over the wall to the marketing team. And it's like, hey, go market this product, right? And, and marketing has not really been part of the process. But when you have, you know, product marketing managers working with PMs, then oftentimes what you have is you have, you know, product requirement docs or PRDs that are more fleshed out, that take more consideration of what competitors are doing in the market, what focus groups or research tells us about what consumers actually want from the product, um, what's going on in the broader market in terms of changes or trends, right? So there's a better chance that by applying research, um, which is often led by marketing, and by applying competitive research in terms of what our competitors done, which is again, often led by marketing and getting all this into product requirement docs and making sure that there is customer input into the product development process, you're more likely to develop a product that really solves a pressing need, okay? You're also more likely to build a product that really differentiates against what's out there as opposed to, oh, we launched this product and we didn't realize our competitors already had this, right? And that happens all the time as well. So, you know, good product marketing managers, when matched up with good PMs, can bring a different perspective into customer needs that help build better products, right? Good product marketing managers are also technical enough to understand how these products are built, right? And business savvy enough to understand how the economics of the business that you're building for, right, the market that you're addressing, can actually be monetized, right? And, and done so in a way that hopefully gives you some sort of competitive advantage. So when you structure product marketing managers and you have them working together with product managers, you really have a lot of magic that's created, right? You have not only great technical products, but you have products that really address those needs. You have products that are more simple to use um, and you have something that is really gonna resonate with the market, okay? Let's talk about place or, or distribution, right? And, and you know, as I've said many times before, Distribution can really make or break your product, right? Obviously, if you have a great mobile game and you can't find it in the app store, um, you have a problem, right? Obviously, if you have a great mobile game and, and you can't find it across multiple app stores in China, you're not going to be successful in China, right? So understanding the importance of distribution uh, is critical to get the most reach for your product. Um, and oftentimes what you find is, uh, in, in many cases with tech, um, distribution is a large part of the marketing, right? If you look at right now the dockless bike sharing war that's going on in the United States, right? Between companies like Limebike and Spin and Jump and Mobike and Ofo and like God knows probably half another dozen players out there. Um, a big part of their marketing is really just getting their bikes onto the street, right? A big part of the marketing of all like the latest, you know, e-scooter craze that you see in San Francisco is... You know, how many scooters can these guys deploy and, and can they make sure that these scooters are available everywhere and that people see them, right? So place and distribution is, is critical to make or break the success of your product. When I worked at Pepsi, you know, back in the 90s, yeah, and I, I know I'm totally dating myself here. Um, one of the reasons why Pepsi used to lose so badly to Coke outside of the United States was just that our distribution just was crap, right? You, you couldn't find the product. Uh, and so you can have the best advertising in the world, but if the customer can't find your product, it doesn't matter how good your product is and it doesn't matter how good your advertising is. And it doesn't matter whether you're cheaper or not to your other competitors. 
they're just not going to consumers just not going to be able to find your product and therefore you're not going to get any sales. So ensuring that you have good distribution of your product and thinking of all, all the different ways that people can find your product, whether it's a mobile game, whether it's a physical product, whether it's, you know, software as a service, that stuff is the same in tech as it is in any other product in any other um, industry. You have to make sure that you have the broadest uh, distribution network available. You have to have um, focus on that, right? So how can marketing help distribution? Well, you know, the, the key to marketing helping distribution is really that, you know, marketers, uh, and again, you know, this is oftentimes the role of the product marketing manager, you know, have to be able to identify what the different distribution channels are, right? And then they have to be able to work with the BD teams and the sales teams to craft the materials that are needed for BD and sales to go in and sell to those channels, right? So let's let's go back and let's take the Line Bike example, right? So Line Bike has, you know, these dockless bikes. Uh, they're trying to get as much usage as possible. They're trying to, you know, flood the market with as many bicycles as possible. But you know, they have to think in terms of distribution channels, right? So what might a distribution channel be for dockless bikes? Well, one distribution channel would be campus universities, right? Because if you think about it, obviously there is. Um, an audience of uh, young, you know, relatively uh, time-rich users who, you know, need to get to class and need to get around campus, and potentially want to do so in a way that is economical, that is um, environmentally friendly, and that is more convenient than using a car. Right. So, getting into campuses, that you know, campuses and campus universities is a distribution channel for Lime Bike. Right. So, to the extent that marketing can help prepare materials, landing pages, presentations, flyers, you know, videos or whatever else for the BD and sales team to go in and sell to these university campuses, that's going to make it easier for those teams to actually get those bikes onto university campuses, right? Um, so that's kind of one thing to think about is how does marketing help identify the different places that your product could be available for sale? And how does marketing create marketing programs and marketing materials to then help you sell into those distribution channels? Okay, cool. Next up, price, right? Show me the money, right? It's all about revenue generation. We all got to make a buck at the end of the day. Uh, pricing is pretty critical because, again, if you get pricing wrong, uh, you're either going to end up with too little profit and not make enough money per unit of sales sold. Or, you know, if you... Um, Price your if you price your your product too high, too expensive, uh, then people aren't going to buy it, right? Um, one great example of this. Well, there's many many examples of people who have gotten this wrong. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of like you know take the virtual time machine kind of and rewind back to like 2011 uh, to you know the the dawn of tablets, right? And and back in 2011 there was a tablet that was launched by BlackBerry called the Playbook. And, and most people listening to this probably don't even remember this, and for good reason, because it was like, uh, you know, hideous failure. The Playbook was kind of like BlackBerry's first tablet, and it was obviously designed to compete with the iPad, right? Um, and, you know, the, one of the things that really hurt the Playbook, you know, aside from the fact that they had basically no apps for it, which really hurt, given how important content is for, for devices, is their pricing strategy, right? When the playbook initially came out, it was priced, you know, between $499 to $699, which was essentially the same price as the market leader at the time, which was the iPad, 
right? And the result was was obviously a dismal flop, right? Not only did they not have as much content as the iPad had, they had a much weaker brand and they had a pricing strategy which was the same as as the iPad, right? So that's like that's like going out to the market and say, hey, you know, we're we're gonna try and sell uh, the Chevy Volt at the same price as Tesla, right? Because they're both electric cars. It's like, no, people are not going to buy the Chevy Volt at $80,000 because it doesn't have the same brand. It's not the same, you know, it's not exactly the same product. And, you know, the Tesla has a pricing premium and has a series of features and functionality that the Volt doesn't have. So, you know, with pricing, um, you always have to be very sensitive about what your competitors are doing on pricing. What is the price that the market is willing to bear? And, you know, in general, it's it's better to start off your pricing slightly higher because then you can discount and you go a little bit lower, right? If you start with your pricing being too low, then if you have to discount, you got nowhere else to go, right? Um, another great example was kind of the early stages of the mobile gaming industry, you know, back in 2005, 2007. You know, we were selling mobile games at 4 to $5 a pop, right? Um, and, and we were wondering why the industry wasn't taking off. And the reason was that, Consumers simply were not willing to pay four or five dollars for for a game on their mobile phone. Uh, most people didn't even know what that experience was was going to be like, right? And so, shelling out money for something that you don't understand, um, especially when it's a relatively high price point, that's a deal killer for most consumers. When things started to change was when you know in the mobile gaming industry we started to see um, try before you buy games, right? So you would actually be able to download a free version of the game. You could play it for like five, 10 minutes, or you could play a couple of levels. It would give you an idea. And then they would ask you to pay for it. Um, that was kind of a great way to create an incentive for trial, right? And particularly if you're a marketer in a tech business where your industry is relatively new and consumers are not very sophisticated, you need to generate trial before asking people to pay uh, money for a product, right? It's, 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 it's key, right? When you go into a grocery store and people like, you know, um, hand you like a soft drink to, to try out, um, they do that for a reason. It's called sampling, right? They give you a chance to try the product before you buy it. And then if you taste it and you say, hmm, I like it, then, then you might go to the shelf and you might buy it, right? So providing a trial for consumers to try something is critical and is one of these things that particularly for new industries, you should always try. You should always do that. So how does, um, how does marketing work with, uh, you know, supporting pricing, right? So it goes back to the dynamic duo that we talked about, you know, D2. Ideally, your product manager and your product marketing manager uh, are working together on pricing, right? And, and pricing really needs to reflect not just what you think the consumer is willing to pay, but it should also reflect the broader competitive landscape that you're in, right? So in this case, your product marketing manager should really be looking at the market, looking at your competitors and getting a very good understanding of how, what they charge, right? What is the pricing strategy that they are following? You know, are they following kind of like a pricing strategy, which is, you know, very high in the market and trying to get as much profitability per unit as possible? Or are they trying to go with a very low price point? Are they offering a lot of trials? Um, and oftentimes, I think a lot of teams in the Valley, you know, and in tech don't spend enough time doing this. They don't spend enough time surveying competitors and really getting an understanding for what their pricing strategy is, right? Um, and, you know, the key thing about pricing is that pricing isn't just a function of profitability. Pricing is also a function of brand and brand value, right? So if you think about, you know, the last time that you bought something, um, 
most of us are driven by price, right? The reality is that when you buy a BMW, the BMW has a certain price point, right? It's generally more expensive than a Honda Accord. So pricing is also kind of driven to reinforce the prestige or the premium value of a brand, right? So if you're going after a very high segment of the market and you're pricing your product too cheaply, that's going to tell the consumer something about your product. Psychologically, people associate a higher price with a more higher quality product and a lower price with a lower quality product, right? That's just human nature. So, um, so you really want to make sure that your product marketing team is surveying the market, looking at competitors, looking at their pricing strategy, and then potentially running research with your PMs on, uh, you know, focus groups, quantitative research, price elasticity surveys, and trying to figure out what the best pricing strategy uh, is, right, based on the kind of product that you have, how you want to position your product, do you want to be high-end product, do you want to be low-end product, right? Um, so in terms of, um, you know, other things that you want to be thinking about is you also want to be thinking about, you know, sales promotions and discounting, right? So marketing can be very effective in using price as a weapon uh, for promotional purposes, right? To, so to give you a quick example of how I've seen this done really, really effectively, um, if you look, for example, at um, the video games, uh, the video game business, right? One of the things that you see in the video game business, particularly in consoles, and less now because, of course, so many games are purchased, you know, uh, as digital downloads, but uh, for retail box product of video games, one of the things that you'll see is, you know, once a game's been out for one or two years, um, it drops in price, right? So a brand new game like, you know, you know, Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty may come out at 60 bucks. Uh, and then a year later or a year and a half later, it may, may be down to 40. And a couple of years later after that, it may be down to 20, right? And that's really kind of like price maximization. That's kind of like looking at the life cycle of your product and as your product ages over time and you're going to replace it with a new generation of product, what do you do? Well, you discount, right? You discount the existing product that you have, which is going to drive up more volume and help you get rid of the inventory of stock if you have a physical product over time, right? To pave way for the introduction of this new product, which is going to come out and again, be at a full price point, right? So there's a lot of ways of playing with price tactically that can give you a bump in volume um, and increase your sales right before you're about to launch a new product, right? And you can also do this with technology products, right? You see it a lot with phones. So when the new generation of iPhone is coming out, well, what are Sprint and T-Mobile doing? Well, they're discounting the older generation of iPhone, right? They're doing bundles. Okay, last but not least, we're winding down here. The last kind of bucket we're gonna talk about is promotion, right? AKA advertising, growth hacking, user acquisition, whatever you want to call it, you know, in tech, we always like to have fancy names for everything. So there's a lot of different ways you can talk about promotion. Um, you know, promotion is, is remains, you know, the really a core function of the marketing team, right? But the key thing about promotion is that it's become much harder than it used to be. And, and why is that? Well, you know, according to the American, uh, the American Marketing Association, the average consumer is exposed to over 10,000 brand impressions every single day. Think about that, folks. 10,000 brand impressions. I mean, you know how much noise that is? It's really, really hard to cut through that noise, right? It, it's, it's, you know, advertising is becoming progressively more difficult to use 
because people are just swamped, right? They're like, they're seeing stuff on TV or they're seeing stuff on YouTube or, you know, they're seeing stuff on their phone or in the app store or, or in retail stores, right? They're so, they're so overwhelmed with product messages that it's very difficult to cut through. As a matter of fact, you know, I saw some statistics that indicated that even as far back as 2015, Google actually was already saying that up to 50% of AdWord clicks were accidental. So think about that. Up to 50% of the clicks were accidental. Um, so advertising is becoming harder, right? So we need to find smarter, different ways to reach people. Uh, on the B2B side of things, you know, uh, a lot of consumers are actually saying that, you know, they want to buy products and services from companies that they trust, right? Companies who help them grow their businesses, right? So it's no longer enough to just pick up the phone and try and make a sale, right? Or send a piece of direct marketing to somebody and hoping that they're going to buy your product. You have to establish an emotional relationship with the user, right? And I'll have other, I'll have other podcasts that talk about, you know, um, the key to unlocking consumer emotions. Uh, and there are a number of posts on my on my blog that talk about this as well. So content marketing naturally has become kind of quite a phenomenon for the last few years. And, and you know, I think the, um, the latest statistics that I saw from the Content Marketing Association um, was that, you know, up to 80% of marketers say that they're going to double down and produce even more content this year uh, because it works. Right. It clearly has worked. However, you know, I've also seen, you know, industry stats that, that show a couple of disturbing trends in content marketing. Right. One is that people are going to double down and produce more content. Right. Which which is great to the extent that it helps people. The bad thing is that engagement is, is dropping. Right. Because there's so much content out there that you really have to come up with cool, interesting, useful content. And you have to use the right channels to reach consumers. Right. So content is effective. Because if you produce, you know, white papers, blog posts, podcasts, just like I'm doing for you guys now, um, you can really help people, right? And you're not asking for anything in return. I'm not asking you guys anything in return for listening to this podcast, but hopefully it's helping you with something, right? And the day that basically you think, oh, I need a marketing coach. Well, what about that guy that creates all the podcasts, right? That's kind of how content marketing works is it is essentially kind of a lead generation tool that helps you connect with users build this emotional connection, give them something of value. And then at some point when they need a problem solved, hopefully they think about you as the solution, right? The key to understanding kind of like advertising and promotion is another framework, right? And you guys know that I'm a huge fan of frameworks. So this framework is called ALTR. And what it stands for is A is for awareness, L is for likability, T is for trial, and R is for repeat. Right. And the reality is the big problem in tech marketing often is that most tech marketers do not follow each step of that process. Right. They don't go from A to L to T to R. They basically go from A to R. Right. They basically go from step one, which is building awareness to step four, which is repeat. So they skip a bunch of steps. And the problem is when you skip a couple of steps, oftentimes, you know, you're not building really strong engagement with your users. If I just tell you, hey, you need to buy this new phone because it's awesome, and I create some awareness through like a video or like a sponsorship or something, I haven't really connected with you as a user. I haven't really told you why this product is awesome. I haven't really built that emotional connection with you and gotten you excited about using it, right? That's likability. So if you see so many times on TV or you know, when you're kind of like surfing the web or you're on YouTube, you see so many ads, you know, from Nike or some of the other big brands. 
the reason why you see such a high frequency of advertising is because awareness isn't enough. You actually have to connect with the user and make them like your message and like the story that you're telling, right? So having good marketing material that actually tells the story and I have a separate podcast about the importance of stories is key to actually moving the user down the user journey so that they can really not only be aware of your your product and what it does and why it matters, but they actually take your product and they include it in the set of alternatives that they would be willing to buy once they have to make a purchasing decision, right? T, T is for trial, right? So as I talked about earlier, you know, when you go into a supermarket and somebody, you know, gives you some peanut butter to sample, you would never probably switch peanut butters. Well, you might if the other peanut butter was much cheaper, but you're much more likely to switch peanut butter if you're able to try it first and then you make a decision to actually buy it based on what you tried in the supermarket. The same can be said of tech products. To the extent that you can create an experience that allows the user to try your product for a limited amount of time before you actually purchase it, you're gonna be in a much better position to ask for money, right? And a lot of companies already do this. There's a lot of companies that have you know, trial versions of the product. And then of course, if you want the upgraded version with all the bells and whistles, you have to pay, right? And of course, last but not least is the repeat, right? Once you've gotten to a part where, um, you know, essentially the customer is satisfied with the experience, has been using it for a while, it's always easier to upsell them. It's always easier to continue to ask them to pay that subscription, right? Um, repeat is kind of like the, 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 the kind of like the, um, the nirvana of, the user journey, that's where you really want to get to. You want to get to a point where consumers are so emotionally connected to your product, they've been using it for so long that, you know, not many other competitive products enter into their consideration set and they just continue to buy your product, right? So again, think of it as steps. Think of it as a process from awareness to liking to trial to repeat, right? The key with marketing and how marketing helps you in that process is that good marketers, right? And this is not just your product marketing team. This is kind of your growth and advertising team. Good marketers will build individual marketing initiatives that target your your customers at each step of that process, right? So you're going to have you know, your Facebook ads, you're going to have your YouTube videos, you're going to have your mobile ads, right? All that stuff, your billboards, all that stuff helps to create awareness of your product. But you're going to use slightly different tools to connect with users to make them actually like your product, right? Um, You're definitely going to use different marketing programs when you're thinking about generating trial, right? Um, And you're going to, again, use different tools when you're thinking about generating repeat purchase, right? So billboards, for example, are really effective at creating awareness, right? They're not very effective at creating kind of likability. They're not very effective at creating a repeat purchase, right? Retargeting, for example, is very effective once a consumer's already heard of your product, right? So it's not necessarily effective for awareness creation, but it's effective in terms of potentially getting a user to target, you know, a user to, uh, to try your product or potentially to use it again. Right. Blog posts, white papers, webinars, you know, these are great if uh, if you're targeting the right audience, they can create awareness, they can create likability. Um, and then you need to do something on top of that to actually get the consumer to convert and make a purchase. Right. Uh, so, if, you know, if you're just writing posts on your product features and expecting, you know, leads from that on your blog, um, that's not going to work. Right. You, you, need, you need to really be connecting with the user in terms of the kind of posts that you're writing on your blog. 
and then use different marketing techniques to further move them down the, uh, the customer funnel and get them to do what you want, right? So the good news in all this is, you know, there's a ton still to do that, that we can do as a collective kind of marketing community to improve marketing and technology companies, right? And in a lot of ways, you know, we see cutting edge tools coming out of marketing, you know, coming out of technology all the time in advertising technology and in marketing tech. So there's more and more tools, but of course, you know, you have to figure out which ones are effective and which ones you need to use at different stages of, of the consumer journey, right? So what tools do I use to create awareness? What tools do I use to create likability? How do I get you know, customers to actually try my product in a way that is kind of low cost, risk-free? And how do I get them to then return and you know, buy the product again or stay subscribed as a user, right? So hopefully all this information will be super useful to you. Um, again, if you are interested in reading the actual post on this, you can go to www.madmork.com blog and look for the post called Startup Crashes. Uh, colon, it's the marketing, stupid. Um, likewise, make sure that you uh, subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, check out some of the other podcasts that I have. You know, We have uh, uh, CMO interviews and other people that I'm interviewing at tech, including CEOs and others. If, uh, if you like this, feel free to, to share it, you know, either on Twitter, Facebook, uh, or, you know, Instagram and other places. And, you know, feel free to also send me a tweet at Mad Mork or comment on my blog and let me know if there are other things that you would like me to cover that are uh, interesting for you or that you have questions on. And in the meantime, that's it for me. Appreciate your time. Thanks again for tuning into Mad Mork Stories. This is Patrick Mad Mork signing off, and I hope you guys have an awesome day and continue to do some awesome marketing. So onwards and upwards, guys. See you later. Bye.